podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, I'm Mo Stewart and welcome to The Weekender. It's a very special edition, it's the very last one of the, well it's not the Premier League season, the 2018-19 season. Uh, The long road to Madrid, the end is finally in sight. Along the way we've dispatched champions of Serbia, France, Germany, Portugal and Spain and we're finally ready to take on Spurs in the Champions League final. Uh, I'm joined by three people who share a similar level of excitement as I do and a similar uh, attitude to ankle warfare. That's uh, Dan Morgan, Amelia Bonner and Lizzie Doyle. Uh, the reason I mention ankles is because you may well know by now, but those crazy bastards are back on that bus. <laughs> and you will be hearing from them later in the show. But first, we're going to talk a little bit more about the build-up. And one thing that I've noticed, Lizzie, uh, the mood in the camp has been really good. I mean, you'd expect it to be the Champions League final, but we've seen a lot of happy, smiling players, whether it's on social media or in interviews. I think of uh, the one that Gibbo did with Hendo and I'd say Chamberlain was fantastic. And we saw another one come out a couple of days ago, an article with Andy Robertson from the Players' Tribune which I know you loved and I loved as well, and I hope all of you have as well. It really gives you a sense of the character of the man and the attitude of the man. And um, one of the things that I was really keen to notice that came straight out of the bat is he was really keen to dampen down this whole idea of his story being a fairy tale and magic wands, I think he, he, he referred it to. And he wants to focus on the fact that all of this is built out of things that all you and I have access to. So hard work, you know, ability to adapt and self-belief. Yeah, it's, a, it's all down to hard work and I think the idea that you you make your own luck. I mean, you can be lucky, but I, I am a true believer of that if you are lucky, it's because you've made it yourself and you've worked hard. Um, and we all need a bit of luck sometimes, but the the stories he told about even like the, you hear about a lot of players getting let go and he got mm-hmm. let go from Celtic, didn't he? And as, as his boy, boyhood club, you know, that must have been quite hard to take. And then to pick yourself up from... You know, being a year off, getting a professional contract, it must have been devastating. And he probably, he might have thought for a single second that his, his career or his mm-hmm. potential career as a footballer was done. But, you know, he plugged away and he went in at a, at a, a lower league and now he's at Liverpool and he, he thoroughly deserves it. Um, even if he did say he was spewing up on the on the pitch, which <laughs> I was a big fan of. Um, yeah, it, I, I like the fact that he dampened it down and I think you can tell. When he plays, that article is is mm-hmm. exactly how you'd imagine him. Yeah. And when he's playing, I think it's completely reflected. Yeah, that was something I noticed as well, uh, Amelia in particular. Like sometimes with articles written by players, you have a, a suspicion of them being ghostwritten. But I could hear his voice yeah, as yeah. I was reading the bits of it. And like Lizzie touched on, the idea of going through that disappointment early and having to really consider not being a footballer in the world of work and. We think of footballers as being kind of cosseted, especially from an early age through the academy system. But this is a guy who really understands the troubles of you and I. And I think he takes that out onto the pitch with him. Yeah, I think, and you can often see how annoyed he gets at himself at points. I th- You can see it with all the squad, but there's moments where he does something stupid, makes a daft decision, feels like he lets himself and people down. You can see him beating himself up over it. And I just think, I don't know what you said about that kind of the grit and determination and the hard work that comes across in it is 
it's dead important in that article because we all, more than anyone else, we love to buy into a narrative. We love a story. We love to kind of have, you know, the the feeling of being at Anfield, the atmosphere of it. And like Barcelona 4-0 being kind of like folklore already. Mm-hmm. We love there to be this story and to believe in the magic. But I think it's not that doing that kind of downplays the hard work, but it almost makes you forget that it is down to hard work, determination, putting the hours in, turning up early at training and putting the cones out. And like, that's what he, that, yeah. he seems like that fella. Definitely. I mean, even in any fairy tale, you're going to hear there's the montage where they actually have to do the hard work. It's yeah. really easy to forget that bit. And it's kind of part of a trend we've seen a lot of uh, Liverpool players talking about this season, the language that they've used. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about the fairy tale of last summer, uh, <coughs> last uh, year's run to the Champions League was very much like that kind of swashbuckling, we'll score as many as we have to kind of style. And it's been very different. And the tone has been very different mm-hmm. as well in how they've been speaking. Um, the fairy tale narrative as you call it they've been wanting to debunk it kind of because it feeds into this idea of not being uh, not not really valuing it and not being deserving of being there and these guys have been there once before they know what it takes to get there they know what it takes to get there again so that they really do believe that they earned this place and they deserve to be there I think what's really interesting is I think this, this manager's in some ways instilled a fear into them a fear of other people working harder than them. Yeah. Um, a fear of, of other teams wanting it more than them. And I think that very much buys into something I said recently on a show, which is that this this team to me uh, are really, really good, better than, than other teams I've seen at being responsible um, for what they can control. And I think that's where this comes into it, you know, because you can imagine a situation where the game's coming up on Saturday and, and Klopp's saying to the players, well, we can control the fact that we can work harder. We can control the fact that we can want it more. Um, and then we can obviously go from there and use those traits onto the pitch with, with the obvious ability we've got. And I think that's quietly gone unnoticed with the team. And, and I think it's it's intrinsic in players like Robertson, the individuals around the place, because his story's brilliant. And I think I was guilty of looking at it in kind of fairy tale. Um a kind of type of way in, in that I think I I thought you know it was this dream story about how he once had no money and how he was looking to get a job and you then you kind of take away the hard work that comes mm-hmm. with it and, and the, the hours of graft and, and more the mental uncertainty of not knowing whether something's going to come off for you or not knowing what all this means or what it's for and, and we all have that day to day but there's a there's a collective will amongst this team that I've, I've not, mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen before amongst Liverpool sides I think it's it's there with all of them. I think that's a natural reaction, though, to want to feel like a fairy tale because it's almost like you see someone who you don't doesn't fit what you normally see getting success, and they've earned it and they've deserved it. So you want to be happy for them. But when you hear him talk about it, there's almost like an element of well, it's kind of like disrespect because it's almost like you you don't believe that I've got here on merit the same as every other guy in the squad. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say, I think. In absence of saying this means more, you need to think of how much it means to so many of them in different ways in terms of to to be in this final again or to be in this final at all. So for Andy Robbo, for his story so far, to get to be in this final, for for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain to get to be there after what happens last year, for Salah to get to step onto the pitch again after last year and all of the shit he's had to deal with between then and now. And I just think there's so many of them where it's kind of like, they've done proven anything to anyone. To get to this mm-hmm. point is kind of, it takes so much that, that they're even there and says so much about the kind of 
moral, mental, physical fortitude of every single one of them to get to be there. And that's what you need to, like you say, to succeed at an elite level. And it's something Klopp's touched on loads of times. That's one thing that you will never, he will always be happy to wax lyrical about his mentality giants, as he calls them. And it goes to, goes to show how important that is to the whole framework of what we do. Now, one person who unfortunately isn't going to be able to affect the game on the pitch, as we heard confirmed from Klopp this week, is Naby Keita. Now, I know me and some other people got their hopes up a little bit and seen him travelling with the squad and even getting out onto the training pitch a couple of times, but he's pretty much dampened down all ideas of him playing. He said it's possible that he will make it for the African Cup of Nations, however, which I think is a good thing for him mentally because of the disappointment or the double disappointment he would have suffered, similar to the way Mo Salah had his Champions League final and his World Cup disrupted last summer. But Lizzie, I mean, there's still a little bit of a question here, isn't it? Because Klopp has said he has to be 100% fit to go. Now, we know that he's absolutely desperate to go. He's captain of his country. They've never been to the AFCON before. The, the team, Guinea, are desperate to have him. Can you see this becoming a little bit of an issue? Potentially. I mean, who gets the say-so? Is it Liverpool? I believe it is Liverpool. <sighs> it's going to be hard. And and for someone like Naby Keita, who, like, I didn't realise he was captain. He's going to be desperate to go, isn't he? Um, I don't know. It could be an issue, but if he's, if he's not fit... Take away the fact that you're being selfish about Liverpool. If he's not fit and then picks up another injury and it puts him out for ages, you've got to think of the health and good of the player. And I don't know, it it, it really does depend, I think, um, on the player as well. I mean, you've heard, you know, Van Dyke coming out and talking about playing through pain and yeah. stuff like that, which you, you do have to do. And is it a case that, you know, he, he, he might... How long is the African cover nations? How long is it last um, I believe it's uh, just under a month. So let's say um, if if Guinea get through and he sits out like the first bit and then he might be fit enough. I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be an issue, but do you know what for his sake, I'd really, I think it'd be mm-hmm. brilliant for him to go because I think he was just getting into his stride and I think, yeah. you know, you, you see the pride that, that a lot of the players have to play for the country and I think as a mentality thing, also as a fitness thing to keep your fitness levels up, a big competitive competition in the summer, Um I, I think it's only a good thing for Naby. I just mm-hmm. hope to God that he is fit. I, I was expecting him not to be fit for the yeah. Champions League final. And I think even if he was, he wouldn't be starting anyway. Yeah. I think he'd be an option off the bench at most. So, I think the fear for Klopp, though, is that once once you let him go, you have absolutely no control about what happens. Because I think you're right to say if they just rest him for for a bit and then use him towards it. But like they've got absolutely no control of, of, of what happens with him. And that would be the fear, I think, when because I read it again before I came to remind myself of it, but his wording of kind of how he says, yeah, there's no reason that he shouldn't if he's fit. It's very, it's almost like, I don't know what the future version of counterfactual is, but it's him kind of saying, <laughs> if all of these things line up, then yes, hypothetically, I would let him go. Like it's him, if he's perfectly fit, then there'd be no mm-hmm. reason not to let him go. But I'd, I'd, it was cautious at best to say that he thinks he'll let him go. It sounds like he's already trying to tread a very fine line yeah. because obviously he knows the uh, ambitions of the player. He also, and there's already been a little bit of potential disagreement between uh, Guinea and uh, Klopp in terms of their interpretation of what he said and what he mm. actually said. So Dan, I'll put this one to you. Um, Lizzie was right. He was really starting to get into a stride for Liverpool. And the potential for him to come back when he's not fully fit and injure himself again and then put himself way back within his Liverpool career. Do you think maybe that can start to come into his mind? Maybe Klopp can use that as well as say, look, mate, 
I really want you to be the guy for us next year. I appreciate this is the first time you've been there with your country, but you've got to look at the long game here. Yeah, I think there's a few things at play here. I think I think first and foremost, if he's not fit, he's not going. And I think Liverpool's sports science department is up there with the best in the world. So they will have a clear, you know, underlying picture of what's going on, when it's going on and, and what what his prognosis is. I think so, in my opinion, you know, I think the problem comes if we get to the point of it and the sports science team is saying, well, okay, he's 60, maybe 65%. Mm. And then it, it becomes a decision to make in terms of there's a swing either side. Because I think what you've seen with Klopp is if if Kaiser, for instance, is banging on his door saying, look, boss, this means the world to me. I'm captain. It's my country. It's my nation. I, I need to do this. Then I think what you've seen with Klopp with the likes of Salah going to New York and stuff like that, yeah. he, he does things that he feels you know are, are good mentally for the players as much as anything else, a good mor- morale boosters for them. But he has to manage his body, and that's the thing. And, and I... I'm not sure, you know, I, I think if he'd, if he'd have carried on the way he was and he'd have started the last few games of the season, I'm, I'm of the opinion he might have started tomorrow, uh, in, on Saturday in Madrid. Um, not more so then because you get the extra sub if you go to extra time. And I think mm. when I think, I think think what what Klopp will be thinking just delving into the game is that he'll want a full-time, both Fabinho and Milner on the pitch, and whether that's at 90 or 120, I think he'll want both of them there. So I think there was a world in where Kaita might have started the first 60 mm-hmm. of the game. But going back to the, the situation in hand, I think it'll come to a swinging point where if a sports science team is saying, well, yeah, there's a possibility, he has then maybe a moral decision mm-hmm. to make more than anything else. Do, do you think on his injury, I mean, I, I don't know how the club would think, is there an argument that he could still fly out with the team and mm-hmm. just be a presence, be in the dressing room. Because as captain, you know, sometimes you've seen Harry Kane, the mm-hmm. Spurs come out and said, you know, at, at Ajax at half-time, he True. was the one in the dressing room and it was him that got everyone going mm-hmm. and it was him that, um, his, his words of wisdom that, that pulled them through. Is it, would the club allow an, a non-fit Naby Keita to still travel and, and do all his training over there? Or is that, I don't know. I, I actually don't know the answer. Tomorrow, yeah. whether they'd even, yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose mean, he did, but with without Liverpool's training team and a sports science team, because mm. I, I think, does that myth? Well, I don't even think it's a myth. We clearly see that players come back injured a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah. off the back of international breaks due to maybe different training methods and yeah. stuff like that. And I don't know, is that even too risky? I mean, it's a really good question because that might be the perfect way to placate all sides if you think about it. Say, so look, we know that you, it's important for you to be there, to be the talisman for your team, but we also want to be cautious about this thing. I mean, we've heard reports, I don't know how true they are, but Liverpool potentially sending people away with Mane when he's gone to Senegal before, as in like, you know, a personal physio who's also reporting for the club. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I dare say that might... <clears throat> that might come into their thinking. The thing I worry about, Emilia, is when we cast our minds back a couple of years to the situation we had when Joel Matip was the last to trying to go to, well, he wasn't really trying to go to the African Cup of Nations, but we got into a situation where we were in conflict with Cameroon, his country, and we couldn't really play him until that was uh, resolved. Um, I imagine the club wants to avoid that at all costs. You want to avoid that? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like politically, is maybe the wrong word, but I guess in the way that you negotiate with and deal with the nation that want him to represent them, I think also mentally for the player is probably the more important thing that you've got to juggle because you don't want him 
just having an absolute cob on like okay. for the rest of his Liverpool career because he's he's 24 now so next time African Cup of Nations come around he's 20 he, he's got to be thinking I might not get to be captain again mm-hmm. he doesn't know what's going to happen in his Liverpool career in his wider footballing career between now and the next time that this opportunity could come around and if for the first time in your life you've got the chance to do this like I know Liverpool is the most important thing in the world but to him this is definitely the most important thing in the world getting to be captain for your country and you just think mentally what's it going to do to that player to be told you're not going whether or not he thinks he's fit or not and I think it's kind of as as much as those negotiations could be messy and difficult I think it's then having to manage that player next season the season Mm. after that would be probably the hardest part of it yeah I think it's one of those situations where clubs have always got to say that we have the final say in terms of releasing their players but like you say you've got to try and balance it out between trying not to get them too upset trying to kind of placate them and trying to show them that you're doing it for their greater good and for the greater good of the team in the future do you not think what dan just said about the fact that he traveled to marbella as well that's a that's a a, a decision made on purpose he could have just stayed and trained mm-hmm. at home Agreed. but I think Klopp's made a conscious decision to go you're very much a part of this just yeah. as much as anyone mm-hmm. you might be injured we we know that you're not playing but come and join us anyway being in amongst it being in around the lads because you're just as part of this team as, as all them yeah. injured or not and the, the, the other thing with that though is the flip side is that if he does that and then we win, and then he feels terrible being around the squad and not being able to contribute, is he going to want to go and do a similar thing when he's in Guinea and be sitting there thinking, oh God, not again, I wish I was playing again? I think he'll 100% be there on Saturday night. I think yeah. you look at Oxley Chamberlain's in Kiev with half a yeah. leg last year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the abiding memory for Klopp, apparently, is, you know, when, I didn't know this, but reading an interview the other day when Klopp's... Um, that video goes viral of him singing in the kitchen the day mm-hmm. after. Yeah. He's got a picture of Oxley Chamberlain in his hand. And <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. devastated for him yeah. as much as anyone else, which I just think is brilliant. That's so sweet. It's, it's unreal, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm even more convinced now that Oxley Chamberlain is going to make an appearance in the game yeah. now. That's just just a slight aside. Um, speaking of asides, I guess we should probably hear from those extremely crazy men and women who have taken this travel are going to Madrid on a bus yet again after Kiev (laughs) not being enough they've decided they're going to stop off via Bordeaux and Bilbao before they reach there I believe 60 hours on a bus on a journey that's like 1200 miles like you work that out it is absolutely crazy but they seem to be enjoying themselves it is the weekend and it is Neil Atkinson and I am indeed on a bus with me. I've got almost everybody I've ever met, but specifically for the purposes of this uh, conversation, I've got Andy Heaton, John Gibbons and Ian Ryan and I'm going to speak to Ian first about this. Ian, you were on the bus with us last year and we were going to Kiev. Uh, we were. It was a much It was a much more arduous bus journey, to be honest, at the minute. We're, we're heading uh, pretty close to Bordeaux. But what we've got right now is back-to-back Champions League finals. And my thing about this is that we rightly rightly praise and lionise the brilliant of Rafa Benitez but Jurgen Klopp has yet to be beaten in a two-legged European tie in his entire time at Liverpool and I think that because of the hooks, because of the personality because of all this sort of stuff because he doesn't have the same mystique in a sense as Benitez we overlook what has been a brilliant brilliant bit of management I think that's totally fair I think there's been lots of chat around which Liverpool teams of which eras are the best and you can look at various ways to compare you can look at trophies won you can look at games won you can look at goals scored goals conceded all those type of things but what I always keep coming back to is 
how does this team make you feel? How does Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool team make you feel? And in the main, I think we'd all broadly agree that they make you feel fucking great. And the manager's done such a, an unbelievable job. You know, Kiev last year, you referenced it there, Neil. It was, it was tough to take. Um, I know some people took it harder than others, but I think for, for me personally, it was just great to be back in the conversation again. That was a big thing for me, to be back in the conversation. Yes, of course, you want to win it, uh, but you take the defeat on the chin. It's different this time. It's much, much different. And a lot of a lot of that is down to the manager and what he's done. And you, whether you listen to someone like Andy Robertson talk about him in his, uh, his recent interview, it all starts with him. He's the driving force behind everything that's currently going on at this football club. But I think he describes it as lighting the touch paper. And that's very much what this manager has done. Does use the Benitez comparison, John, there's moments like, for instance, the brilliance of the the home and away uh, plan he put together to beat Juventus in 2005, where he, he, he pulls a team together out of nowhere and, and, and you know plays two left-backs when we go away from home at Juventus, and that, I think, is quite easy to be able to see and judge and talk about to supporters and say that's absolutely brilliant. In terms of creating the circumstance to get a football team to flourish, well, that's, a, that's tougher to see, isn't it? You can't measure it in quite the same way, but you're in danger of overlooking it, I think, at the minute, even with the current excellent bits of writing uh, around the manager, for instance. Jonathan Lewis piece that's come out this week. You know, even you can you can end up turning that into because of his own personality into it being a conversation about the fact that he basically just wants everyone to have a lovely time. Instead, there's a lot more going on. There is a lot more going on, and it's creating a relaxed culture, but also a winning culture. And you know, that's that's a difficult thing to do, really. And I was lucky enough to go down to the Open uh, Media Day on Tuesday that UEFA organised and. Me and Sean, they just couldn't believe how relaxed the players were. You know, they were messing around like you know, they'd, it was like pre-season. Yeah. Where it's actually they got this Champions League game and they were joking with each other, they were joking with the staff, and and that's something that, that seems really nice at the club at the moment as well. Is that there's no sort of oh they're the footballers and they're the people who can't look at them. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, they're all sorts of kind of joking around with each other and enjoying each other's company and enjoying where the football club is at the moment, and that is a really healthy place. And I think. Jürgen deserves great credit for how we bounced back from Kiev and, and that could have been you know, a real blow for it. Well, it was a blow, but it could have been a much bigger one. It could have had a, a big hangover, but we didn't. You know, we, we came back, you saw us in pre-season, we were ready to go. We started the season with win after win after win. And, and that's Klopp, that comes from Klopp. As, as Ian says, you know, that's, that's from the top, that. that's, that's him going. You know, no, he says it's not Jonathan Lewin to me, does these great lines. Like, no one wants to win more than me. Like, don't you can't say, like, you know what I mean? Just because just because I'm philosophical about the whole thing, don't think that no one enjoys winning as much as I do. And it's that balance that he seems to have that's really rare. And it makes him like a rare kind of inspirational leader, really. And whereas, you know, he's, he's, he's saying, look, we're in, that's brilliant, let's all do that. But, but if it doesn't happen and it's then if things are out of control or we don't get luck and you can't dismiss it that the fact that the, the, the kind of you know the luck plays you know we had when we had Kelly Daglish in last week you know he was talking about you know in a final you just need a bit of luck sometimes sometimes it's just a bit of luck going your way and you know to the Rafa comparison you can, I mean 05 was brilliant but we wrote our luck <laughs> I mean Christ do you know what I mean like you know in, in the game you know so many occasions where where it so easily could have gone the other way and it didn't and you know even someone like Ferguson amidst the 99 when you did the travel you wouldn't be able to do something like that without a little bit of luck on the way you know Bearcamp 
not taking a penalty as well as he normally would or whatever or, or just little things and so so I think that's what, what Klopp thinks I think that's what Klopp believes I think that's what, that's what they think at the top really and that you can, you can prepare them as best you can you can send them out there to be the best they can possibly be but you also need a little thing to go for you on the day and that's why I'm not too worried about this this run of finals because I think if you put yourself there enough times you'll win one of them and I think it'll be Saturday um, Andy just on the whole impact he's had around the club which again you know you can't then take that away from what, what happens in the games for instance I think the impact he's had around the club the way in which he prepares the players the the mindset he's cultivated with them the players play a part in this and I think that Klopp would be the first to say that that's what means that you go from 3-0 down against Barcelona to winning 4-0 that's what means that people are able to shrug off going to the Camp Nou and come out the other side and say we'll do them at Anfield an indefatigable spirit making the smallest man nil mm-hmm. um, no basically it's, it's very very easy to write Jürgen off as a motivator oh look he gets the motivator actually he's one of the bravest managers the, the difference between 90% of football teams and the elite football teams is a chasm. It's an absolute chasm. Yeah. You look at, not just the Basham because he's Allardyce, but I remember basically the Allardyce doctrine when they stuck up on Sky Sports, is don't hang on to the ball, get rid of it, get it forward. The top teams are the total opposite. They want the ball, they want to be aggressive, but to convince <laughs> your players that they are good enough to do that and you're going to back them all the way is huge. And I think that, that, more, that more than anything. I mean, I, I read the Players Tribune piece with Andy Robertson yeah. earlier today. And he was talking about, you know, the acclimatisation of it. And, you know, you can always... I read earlier in the season, Fabino, another example, all people writing him off and they're saying, oh, it's been a fluke. But we've seen this, it's a repeat. It took Oxlade-Chamberlain a while to acclimatise. Robertson himself, Fabino. And I just think he just gives that players the confidence. And also more than that, and to compare, you mentioned Ferguson. Ferguson's interesting. One of the, the line that popped about a couple of weeks ago, which I think I've read Ferguson to come out with as well, goes, when the players went into their responsibility, when we lose, it's absolutely my responsibility. And I think he's got, he's, he's got that message into them, and you're seeing that. And you see it as much in a routine 2-0 win over, I don't know, West Ham or whoever, and you see it in Barcelona. It's very easy to point to the Barcelonas and yeah. go, oh, well, even in the Barcelona defeat, everything good about Liverpool football club was in this way. It just, as you said, you need your luck. And we were very, very unlucky that night. And then when we took them back to Anfield, we got the break of the ball. But it's doing it game in, game out, game out, game out. We've come off the back of a 97-point season. And we're in our second consecutive Champions League. I'm not having anyone who's going to tell me that that's enough. He's done a phenomenal job. There's something else he's done as well, which I think is really, really important. He's been able to make me relate to millionaire footballers. Something I've not been able to feel like I could do for such a long time. We've all watched Liverpool teams where, yes, they're your lads, so you back them. It's your club, you've got to back them. It's the duty of being a supporter. But you don't necessarily like them, because they're just lads who are wearing the shirt. They put it in sometimes, sometimes they don't. With these lads he's got now, there's not one you could look at and go, he's not putting it in. And all that is being driven by the manager. All of it's been driven by Jürgen Klopp. That's part of the conversation, though, about also about the style of play. In that the way he wants them to play means that they've all got to do that. They've all got to have that attitude. And if they don't want to have it, then they can go somewhere else. But possibly so. And there's, there's a goal we scored last season, which is totally, totally forgotten about because of what happens in the game. And it's the goal against Man City, where we obviously go on to lose the game. It's a fucking phenomenal goal. It's one of the best team goals you will ever see. Yeah. And I've watched this club for such a long time now. You'll go off 
a long way to watch or find a better team goal than that. He empowers those players to problem solve. We know that it gets touched on in different shows. But to have that kind of swagger, to be able to instill that swagger, given what happened with Kiev, given the journey he's been on, the manager has been nothing short of sensational. And I think Gibbo's right. Put yourself in the position enough times, your time will inevitably come. It feels like this is your club's time with Liverpool. But you, I think it's what's time. I think it's the responsibility that he gives them, those players on the pitch. And we've seen it twice in a couple of weeks where uh, you, you've seen Virgil van Dijk defy his own manager to make, to, to make a decision. Alisson in Barcelona. Alisson in Barcelona. You're literally giving the players a responsibility to turn around and go, actually, no, I think this is best in this instance. And be brave enough to live by those consequences. I think that, that just encapsulates everything, everything you're trying to say. And talk about this, you know, Klopp's such a, a totem, if you will. And that's carried, how many characters have we got on that team now? Yeah. They make a decision. And you talk, Ian talks about responsibility. It's not responsibility or fear of the manager, it's the responsibility and fear of your team. We're looking at your teammates in the eye and going, mm. I'm, I'm putting a shift in. You better put a fucking shift in, because if you don't, you know what the consequences are. There's something, John, I wonder about the, the soundness of this, which is where, you know, if anything, I, I'll say again, it almost because he is, he comes across so sound. And yeah, there's some people who say, oh, it's an act for the cameras. I think that everyone who's sensible in football knows that it isn't. But there is a thing where where almost he's damned a tiny little bit by the fact of his own soundness, by the fact that he, he comes across like the person that he comes across as. And that, that sort of means that it, it, it does just become the idea that it, it is the hugs and it's the, you know, it's the smiles and all that, not the idea that this is a, a deep, significant act of leadership that also involves leaving the players to do their own thing, letting Henderson and Milner run the dressing room, that, you know, that there's so much of this, that's a collaboration, but that's a collaboration in the best sense of leadership. Yeah, and I think he's, he's, he's spoken very openly about his style of leadership being about not thinking that you've got all the answers, and I think that's something he's spoken about as well in the past, you know, uh, you know... The Salah transfer. Yeah, the, the Salah transfer, he, he, he kind of gives his credit for to other people, but, but just generally, he's like, well, you know, there's, there's, he says there's things I'm good at, there's a couple of things I'm very good at, where there's everything else, I'll listen to other people, and I think that shows an inner confidence within himself that maybe Brendan Rodgers or whatever didn't quite have, really, you know, or, or someone who maybe, you know, Rafferty wanted to kind of control everything because he didn't trust people effectively, whereas with, with Klopp, he's, he's sort of got this openness to learn, he's got this openness to develop, he's got his openness there. Well, I haven't got all the answers because how could kind of one man really? And I think that's that's been testament to him. And I think that's kind of how we've managed. One of the reasons, kind of why we've been so successful. And it's interesting you talk about the things that he's done by. I think he's done by his openness as well. And I think you know he is sort of you know people say he's like you know he's, he's his character or something. I think he's like the least media trained manager I've ever met. Like you know he'll just like he'll just chat and he'll just go yeah I know you're gonna slow to me for talking about the win but I want to talk about the win so I'm gonna talk about the win. It was windy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you want to tell me if you want to tell me what that football game was like, I'm gonna tell you it was a nightmare because of the wind. And I know you're gonna all have a go but I don't really care because you asked me the question and I'm gonna answer. Whereas someone who was like more kind of somebody been brief before and saying they've had enough of this wind chat here can you yeah, stop telling yeah, them about the weather? Yeah, I mean I don't know. I think I think sort of you know our media team just have to kind of put him in a room and hope for the best often, don't they? Because he just <laughs> seems like he'll just kind of talk what he wants and I admire that and I like that. Am I someone who's gonna go, well no, I'm gonna speak what I think is truth and I'm going to speak what I think you know I'm going to try and give you an intelligence answer to your question and if you want to twist it then then that says more about you than it does about me and I sort of I like that about him and I think he's you know it, 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 the, the style of man he is I think, I think that's why players respond really well to him and there's a couple of things in the last two weeks 
that really stand out for me uh, in that in the interview with um, Enrique and also some quotes from Ben Teke where they both go, yeah, he never played me, but he's brilliant, you know. <laughs> and how often does that happen? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, Ben Teke's like, yeah, he wants a different style of striker. He explained it to me. It made sense. You see that fella who's coming? He's <laughs> 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 40 goals and stuff like that. And then Enrique was like, yeah, yeah, you know, like... There is, you know, with that... There is the thing in, in that interview even with Enrique, John, where he even says, you know, oh, yeah, I was meant to captain for this game, but he said he'd rather give it to Benteke and explain it to me. And I went, oh, that's all right, fine. And then I got to be captain anyway. You know, even yeah. that sort of level of, you know, he's more than happy to take anyone into a room, it seems, and, have, and say, I've made this decision and explain why. Yeah, and also, you know, something that he's, he's often said is that if you're going to come in and say you should be playing, have a think about what you're saying about the fella who's got your shirt, you know, have a think about that, if you are if you want to come and speak to me about what you should be doing better, I'll tell you but if you want to come to me and say I should be playing right back, for example then have a think about what you're saying about the fella who's, 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 who's playing in that position at the moment, and I think that's powerful really, because it's saying, you know, you know it's not just about you I can only pick 11, I'd love to pick more of you, do you know what I mean, let's, let's, let's go out and have a big 25 and get you know, a side game in the final and, and you know, and see what happens. But he can't. He, he picks 11 and he's got to pick the, the 11 that goes. And I think he's pretty relaxed about it. Like, we're all talking about who he's going to pick in midfield. Like, and, you know, with those factors, it's going to upset someone. Like, I think Jürgen's just calm. It's like, I'll pick the right midfield for the game. And if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll throw the lad on who I haven't picked. Um, Andy, Saturday, we're on the bus now. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're cruising through France. Saturday is it's massive for so many different aspects of the football club. I think it's so important for the support. I think it's you know it's hugely important for these players that the the two years they've had get the silverware uh, attached to it. They get to they get to to celebrate themselves, their own brilliance. It's important for the manager maybe in two different ways. One is just literally getting to be one of the managers who has won the Champions League, and the other way in which it's important is that he doesn't have to pick them up again but the same punctuation and they'll just have to pick us up again the same punctuation of the moment that we all get to celebrate he gets to say yeah lads that is this has been part of the journey but I keep talking about the journey the journey's ongoing this just is a landmark on the way through the journey which is the way in which I think he'd handle it I think it's very very difficult to control the narrative around that to be honest especially with the team because you don't want to put too much pressure on them especially because you've had this three week gap that everyone's been talking about to take their minds away so I don't know I love it as much as we try and be, which we try and be philosophical about it, and with the league, I mean, I, I think I said to you, imagine we didn't have a European Cup final. Yeah. After after the game against Wolves, you know, and we do we do need a bit of self aware. I mean, look, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I, I think we'll put ourselves in that position again because I just think we're so strong. But I think the first one will kickstart a run. Uh, I mean, I remember we spoke to uh, I think I've said that a couple of times where we always. Most underrated trophy that Liverpool ever won when he was there was the League Cup final against Birmingham because yeah. of what followed it. You know, it was a horrible game. Liverpool was shit, but they got over the line. And it's because if, we if Liverpool had won that game comfortably, I don't think it had that such an effect. But because they had to dog it out and they got there um, on the media training thing, and I don't often disagree with John, but I think he's, he's, he's an expert on it. I think he's very, I think he's brilliant. I think one of the one of the things that John actually made the point, but I think it's a positive in so much as. He'll give you the answer he wants to give you. Um, and I think in a dressing room sense, and, and I'm going to reference Vegas again for the second time in the show, but they always going on. You know, he was the king of it. He, he, he's telling you what you're going to talk about, whether it's a distraction, whether it's something else. When you, you see when they go over the top about a player, he's quick to throw sand on it. When someone gets slacked off, he's quick to pick them up. 
and he, he would. I think he's very, very good at not taking the bait. I mean, you forget he was doing TV for two years before he was a manager. He's not soft. You know, well, I'm not saying it's an act. I, I think it's, it's it's a very deliberate thing. But yeah, going back to going back to the, the, the big game on Saturday night. Bloody hell, the pressure, and it, I, I found it fascinating how the uh, with it being Spurs not Ajax, because yeah. within initially after the game, about 48 hours, and I'd still, to be honest, I'd still rather be playing Ajax. Yeah. But and I'm not saying it doesn't feel like you want to be in cup final, but it, it's just even on this bus right now, it's kind of weird because you know so much about them. I yeah. don't know, I can't decide if, whether that's a you've positive not, You've not got to go on a learning curve, even the supporters, no. even doing what we do, you no. haven't got to go on a learning curve. And you're curve. looking at the Dutch papers and doing all that kind of stuff and trying to find out. Everyone knows who Delight is or everyone tends to know who yeah. But who's the first sub? But yeah, you know, when you kind of know everything you need to already know about Spurs, I don't know what you need to I don't know whether that's a positive or a negative, because that, that obviously stands for Spurs as well with us. Well, just you know, on that, Ian, and on the fact that you know he's coming up with a manager who a lot of the, the positive attributes, for instance, we, we, we ascribe to Klopp get ascribed to, to Pochettino and, and I think we should take that at face value and show the requisite respect to be honest with you you know we want to see our manager respected and, and, and it's perfectly valid to want theirs to be respected there is a there is a thing here where the one of these two fellas will be the one who walks off at the end of the day on Saturday with the European Cup in his arms and and where I think you know I think our guy needs it to be us more than their guy needs it to be them and I, I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm biased but that's the way in which I look at it yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think, I think Saturday is exciting for obvious reasons, but for me, it goes beyond Saturday. The, the journey, the next stage excites me. I think, I remember thinking after coming out of the ground against in Kiev, that this football club, it's a massive football club. We know that it's potentially even bigger with Jurgen Klopp in charge because there's no doubt we've gone through a bad spell in the trophies. He's dragged us up to a, another level in terms of exposure, get to European finals, etc. Jürgen Klopp and Charles Liverpool Football Club as champions of Europe feels like something else. It feels like potentially an unstoppable beast. And where does this club go if they are European champions with this manager in charge? I mean, just from a player's point of view, imagine looking at Liverpool winning the the Champions League with Jürgen Klopp in charge and you're of a certain age my god you'd want to play for a football club you'd want to you'd crawl over fucking broken glass to play for a football club because Liverpool are going nowhere if they win the Champions League on Saturday they're only going to get stronger that's how you'd feel that's how we'd all feel that's how the players will feel that's how the manager will feel so yes Saturday excites me of course it does a chance to take number six home big trophy of course that's important, but the journey, the next step, it's that's dead, huge. It's dead interesting that one of the things the manager wants, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can see this going the other way for ages, the manager's been saying, listen lads, you've got to focus on the journey, you've got to think about the journey, you've got to think about the journey. I think there's a chance in a way in which he would be stunned by, because he is separate from so much of this, that he'd be amazed that there's a number of Liverpool supporters who bought into the journey to such an extent, he might end up having one of those press conferences on Saturday or on Sunday or on Monday saying, listen, stop talking about next season, you need to enjoy this more now, because I agree with you, I think that's what it might well be like, that we'd all be thinking right watch us go now and he'd be going well hang on we've just won the biggest prize in club football what do you mean watch us go now how do we go from here and he's well within his rights and he's a manager who you know, he works hard we know that and he, he plays hard as well there's no doubt Jürgen likes to get fucking pissed I mean there's no doubt about it he loves it we all do so he'll enjoy he's fitting on this fucking bus I mean so he, he will enjoy the moment of course he will and so he should but 
it won't take long for a manager of with that work ethic, with that mindset, to with those players, to with work those with. players, and they'll expect it. By the way, what's next, boss? Where do we go next? What else? What, what are we going to win next? So there's no doubt. Yes, you enjoy it. You soak it up. All that, of course, you do because it's massive. But then his mind will switch, and he will start to think about well. Do all these lads come with me on the journey or will one or two of them maybe fall by the wayside because they've given me the best and now I need to go and look and upgrade? You don't like to think about those kind of things because we get sentimental and we get a little bit protective of our players. But that's the manager's job and that's what will happen. That's how it will evolve. So yes, Saturday's big. Winning the European Cup is huge. But there's more to come from this Liverpool team, certainly. Um, just quick to sum up before we hand back over. Just want to get you just very, very fast indeed because we're doing a lot of preview work. Uh, on the bus, we're doing a lot of video, we're doing a lot of audio. Do subscribe, do download the app. Uh, you know how this works by now. But I just want to get a quick flavour. Do you think we're going to win? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do you think we're going to win? Yeah. How confident? Like, like in comparison to other finals. I'm 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 sort of as confident as you can be with within reason. Within reason, yeah. I think it's you know it's it's 90 minutes of football. They're a good team. They could, you know. They've got, got a punch, they've got a puncher's chance, yeah. haven't they? You know what I mean? Because they've got they've got players who can who can score good goals, so they've got a, they've got Ericsson for set pieces. Yeah, they've, they've got a they've got a puncher's chance, but 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 I just think all the quality, uh, well not all the quality, but the higher level of quality is with Liverpool, and I've just you know if you if you do try and look at it logically, and you do try and look at it, you know, area by area on the pitch, and you do try and look at it from a point of view of where's the game likely to be won it's just it just feels more likely in all those in all the scenarios I can run in my head that Liverpool win Ian? I think Liverpool will have enough to win the game I'm not quite as maybe as confident as some I think it'll be tight I think there's no doubt you know over the course of a season Liverpool are a far better and more consistent team than Tottenham but we're talking about a cup final here um, and in one-off games mad things can happen different things can happen um, both sides have got quality, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think Liverpool have got just a little bit more than Spurs, and if both teams play to near the potential, then you do see Liverpool running out as winners, but I think it might only be very odd goal. OK, thank you very much to Andy, to John and to Ian. I'll let you get back over with the rest of the weekend there. And it's time for our Resbet section now, uh, ahead of the Champions League final, as you can imagine. There's plenty of specials for us to delve into. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Resbet are our partners here at the Anfield Wrap. Uh, they're one of the companies who put 50% of their profits back to all good charitable causes, and we like that around here. So we've got a few of their specials that I'm going to deliberate now, and I've got Dan and I've got Lizzie alongside me. Now, something that we will always mention is... Harry Kane, he's their Spurs talisman. We expect he's going to be playing. Um, is he going to score? Now, I'm not just going to do a normal, is he going to score bet? Because we know that those will probably be quite high. But I've got an interesting one here. That him scoring isn't going to matter. That he scores and we still win. And that one's at 8-1. to one. Dan, does that tickle your fancy? Not a bad bet. Um... Obviously, a lot of that will ride on whether he starts or not. So, you know, maybe there's a, a scenario where he plays the first hour and he goes off when it's 1-1 mm-hmm. and then Liverpool go on to win the game in the last 30. I think the other scenario is maybe he comes on and gets Spurs back in the game, which none of us want. But not a bad bet, 8-1. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure a few 
blue persuasion <laughs> folk of the city might have a little go at that looking uh, for a silver lining mind you they probably won't because it's Liverpool to win isn't it so yeah. <laughs> well no because they, they, they think oh just typical that they'll still win they might they might do the they might have the Gutman approach yeah of um Covering the losses. Yes. Well, I wasn't going to go into the government approach, but yeah, it's something that I inherently disagree with, even though he's infinitely richer than I am. So we're going to go on to Liverpool to win, shall we? Because they're a lot more fun to talk about. Um, so we've, I've got two particulars of Liverpool winning here. Both, <clears throat> we, well, one that we will get onto later in the show, but one that's been a real feature of the season, and that's coming from behind to win. So in the scenario where Harry Kane scores... We kind of come back, we adapt, we manage in game as we've been doing well, and we come back and we win the game. And that one, Lizzie, is eleven to one. I get they're high odds because we're we're never usually coming from behind to win, are we? Are we? Does that is that including if we went one 0 up and they equalised? For example, does it still count as that? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's only an equal. I think they have to. It's, they have to be in the lead in the game. So right. they score first, and then we get two. See, I, oh, I don't know if I'm into that then because I don't. I just don't see us. I don't see us necessarily going behind, and then ha- I don't know. It's happened a couple of times. Like it happens at Southampton, um, mm-hmm. happens at Arsenal at home, and we got five that day. So mm-hmm. uh, there has been times, but yeah. I mean, like you say, we probably don't remember them because all you remember is the glorious victory at the end. Yeah, I mean, eleven to one. Still, again, still not bad, and it might help settle your nerves a little bit more if uh, if Liverpool go behind and ends up winning and go, oh, sound, I've got it. I've well, exactly, won, I've won yeah. a couple of quid. This is a, it's a good good um, good idea. Just something to settle your nerves. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I never thought of doing it that way. Um, one that's probably a little bit more juicy uh, is Liverpool to win on penalties. Now, obviously that. That involves a long, drawn-out game and probably a lot more sweat being put out by all of us. But the odds are 14 to 1. Now, I think, looking at that Spurs squad, I back our penalty takers over their penalty takers. Do you think that it's going to get to that stage like that? Oh, it's horrible to think of, isn't it? But, yeah, I think, obviously, with it being a final that can go to penalties, it's therefore a possibility. And as we said in the show, it's it's no coincidence that Liverpool Spurs games can be really tight mm-hmm. at times, tight affairs. Um, that's a good bet. I'd, I'd be yeah, I'd have a little go at that um, if I was a better man, because I'm like you, Mo. I just think I think that there's a there's a there's a Tottenham world in which they think their names on it, and they will they will think that even more so if it goes to penalties. Mm. But Technically, I back our lads and I back our goalkeeper over there. So that's the other thing. So yeah. fourteen to one, I think, is a big price. It's <coughs> a good price. It's a very mm. good point. Goalkeeper is probably going to be the area <coughs> on the pitch where there's going to be more disparity than everywhere else. Uh, okay, let's end on a good one then. Something that we've definitely seen happen a lot of times this season, and I'd be very happy to see again. A fellow who scored in the Champions League final last season, Sadio Mane. He is also fourteen to one to score a header. I love this bet. I, I think this is a great bet, and I think the odds for fourteen to one. I mean, what game was it where he scored? Did, did he score a hat trick of headers, or am I making that up? Or was it two? He definitely scored two headers in a game. I'm not sure if he did score. No, it wasn't a hat trick of headers. He hit the post. I think um, that it, that was it. He scored two and he hit the post with another header. Which game was that? It was at Anfield. Uh, I can't remember anyway. But he seems to be getting a lot of joy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, 
I think if Mina was still unfit um, and Origi was on the left and Mane was through the middle, I think that's a very good bet. Mm. I don't know. I think Firmino will play. But yes. I think, say, if Mane was through the middle, I think that's a really, really good bet because I think he's really surprised me. I think he's he's clinical. Any time. Yeah, any time. Well, the, the, well, I think, oh no, actually, I think it's in 90, in 90 minutes. minutes yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, any time yeah. across the 90. It's yeah. not first or last or No. Right. I think that's a boss bet. It's a great bet. When you consider the attack from out wide the, or the delivery from out wide that we've been able to provide this season. It's superb in the air as well. Mm. It is. It's Brilliant. unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I urge all of you to go back and watch a compilation of Sadio Mane headers because just it'll make <laughs> you feel better, definitely. Now, those are our specials for Resbet for the Champions League final. Um, as always, we know that betting is not for everybody. But for those of you who do decide to bet, I think Resbet are good people to go with. As we've mentioned, they do share their profits with charitable people. And we like that around here. And for those of you who do bet, it's always well to gamble responsibly. And I'm joined now by our, our resident, our local Chelsea fan, uh, Chris Barber, over the line. Uh, he's just stepped off. A plane, but not one from Baku, because uh, people are still going to be there probably for about three days trying to get home from that absolutely <laughs> ridiculous Europa League final. Chris, are you made up? Yes, yeah, 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 it was good. I mean, it's, a, a derby final is, is the rarest of rare treats, but to uh, yeah, to do it and then to watch um, <clears throat> to watch the Eden Hazard show one last time was was uh, yeah, it was made up exactly the right the right terminology. <laughs> It did feel like a bit of the the last time we were going to see Hazard, and do you know what I found so mad about all of it? Um, well, well, we'll touch on the game quickly in a bit, but the the fact that when you won, even there, there was no one to celebrate there, and it was it was really it empty was it, and I don't know. It, was it really felt like strange. yeah, it felt like one of those weird preseason tournaments you win, like the Asia Cup or like the. You know, there's one that you want one that in America every year. Like it's just sort of like they didn't feel like there was any any connection and I was sort of watching it and thinking like it looked like the players were made up but it, they felt very much like they'd won a secondary European competition rather than anything that they're going to be really you know thinking about is when, when they hang their boots up and everything else and it was quite weird how even you know the likes of Cesc Fabregas as a pundit was so neutral and so sort of it felt like such a pleasant affair in a, in a, in a way like a sort of friendly match where this football wasn't why we were all there, almost. So it didn't feel like the headline because of the mental stuff going on with Mkhitaryan. <clears throat> Some of the journeys that have been made, the fact that our manager looks like he's probably going to go to the Champions of Italy and our players probably going to go to the, what is it, third best team in Spain, I think they were this season. But so it, it did have a strange atmosphere. It it it, it was... It, it didn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't envious of anyone who was actually there. Truth be told, it was one of those matches where I quite liked watching it in Riga in a sports bar, drinking Guinness, and not having to worry about yeah getting home this side of Christmas. It sounds like a wonderful plan, that to be honest. I think you've got it spot on. Um, yeah. I mean, the Europa League final, as the Europa League in general, has had you know a fair amount of stick from from some fans, but I think um, from personally. Uh, experience in it I think it, we we were 2016-17 getting to the final it's still a great occasion it's still something to be excited about and like you said you were coming up against Arsenal it should be juicy it should be tasty and it's obviously I just want to know how you feel you know you've won the Europa League and had that have been in Madrid would this have felt better if it was in if it was played in Paris if it was played anywhere else in Baku do you think it was a location that sort of I think so. 
I mean, we last won it in Amsterdam, and uh, and that was that was immense. Like the Ivanovic last minute sort of loop and header against Benfica, that was much more exciting. And I personally, I quite like the Europa League. I think because when I'm when Chelsea are in it, it's not it's not a ceiling. If you know what I mean, you know that you should be in a another thing. So you kind of you can view it with a little bit of. I like the League Cup. I quite like the League Cup because there's not much jeopardy. I don't mind either way. So you can sort of you can you can enjoy a performance from a Kovacic last night. I thought had a really good second half um, <clears throat> because you know because you've not got that and also when we won it I was sort of like oh good it's, it's, there's no whereas when we won when we won the Champions League in Munich you know I remember lifting my mother and all this and just being absolutely like un, unimaginably sort of over, over, over the, overjoyed and not in control of my emotions at all whereas last night I was very much like right, good, good game of football off we go then see you all in August sort of thing um, and it, and yeah, I just think the atmosphere and fans and all those things and the build-up and even the mess with Chelsea's training session being open to the media and, yeah. and stuff and all that and all that all that stuff. It just felt like an absolute mess. And you know, we be hearing about people getting to hotels to find that their bookings never happened and all this stuff. And you know, there was more chance about UEFA than there was about anything else last night. Um, and it, yeah, it, it did. It did feel like. Let's brush it under the carpet and move on from every angle, from Arsenal, from Chelsea, from UEFA. It, it didn't have any any final grandiose to it for me. It felt quite, yeah, quite quite odd and quite flat, and, and to the point where even during the match, it felt more like Chelsea were playing Arsenal on the second to last game of the season, and both teams had their season wrapped up, and it was just it, it was the only reason it mattered because it was Arsenal. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a real shame. That it is. It's a real shame. Yeah. And the thing it is, was. obviously, I watched it as a Liverpool fan, and, and to me, it felt like such an on-event. Like I said to you just then, off yeah. um, off air, I I I know that I'm not watching something when I'm looking at my phone, and, and I do it subconsciously. Yeah. And I looked up and found out that there was about thirty odd minutes passed, and I thought, oh god. And I think it just wasn't ramped up to be anything, and it, and it did feel no. very flat and pre-season like and it's such a shame because I've seen some crack of your you know your Open League finals yeah definitely and like, I really enjoyed our semi-finals the Arsenal semi-finals were good the Napoli games were quite exciting I mean I also think it's not been this season because the Champions League semi-final weekend was so good that it's just all they want for me to think about <clears throat> like even like obviously we had to follow we went, went to Pens and things like that but our, our final against Frankfurt even I was still thinking about Barcelona and <laughs> Liverpool and Spurs and Ajax because our, and that's not just the UEFA League has been overshadowed in more than one reason and some of them are footballing reasons some of them obviously are not but it was I mean the first half especially the first half felt like punishment it felt like this is this is what you get <laughs> it felt like we'd all we'd all wronged the footballing gods and this is what we were paying with and they're just the quality in, in the midfield and in the well, I mean mid- midfield mainly, but you know across. And then uh, luckily for well, luckily for, for Chelsea, we we managed to implement a little bit of quality in midfield. I thought Jorginho and Kante and Kovacic were were fantastic, and Arsenal just didn't have anything left in at all. They they I mean uh, they almost looked quite amateur at times. We just looked a little bit better. But even the match ratings, I was having a little look, saying to me before in the interest of. The full disclosure, I did allow myself a little bit more. When it went 3-4-1 off, I managed to enjoy the evening a bit more than the match. And um, I thought I'd have a little read of, of you know, a couple of reviews on the way on the way home from the airport. And it was all 6 and 7, apart from Hazard. So it, 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 was, it was a very low-quality affair. 
Yeah, um, um, and you know what though? I mean, did you, when you say low quality affair, I think, again, um, I'd say maybe, well, it's obvious to see that Chelsea and Arsenal have, have really underperformed uh, this season in the league at least. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. battle for top four, which seemed like nobody wanted to win. Um, I mean, we we, yeah. <laughs> we we were we were miles away from it, and then managed to score two offside goals against Cardiff, and all of a sudden we're third. I can't believe because everyone else kept losing. It's mad, <laughs> isn't it? But you know what? Uh, I want to I want to just know how you see it as a Chelsea fan this season. With that victory, obviously, you've had such up and downs. You haven't been where you thought yeah. you'd be, and and probably where you rightfully should have been, which was in the mix. You know, challenging for uh, Liverpool and City, um, and. And like you say, at one point you dropped out to probably about fifth or sixth. Does this now, yeah. you know, you've finished third behind Liverpool and City, you were outstanding and you've won a Europa League final and you got to um, a domestic cup to penalties, which literally is a 50-50 chance. Is this an OK season after yeah. all the talk? I mean, I'm, I'm quite a glass half full person generally, but I do feel like this isn't, this isn't maybe the season we wanted, but it's the season that we deserved in a sense of... You know, another manager, another idea. Not many investments in the summer, but that that that's that's the the, the, the wrong side of the coin to look at. I still think you look at the fact that Hudson Odoi and Loftus Cheek are a miss and were a miss last night, and that speaks volumes from as a Chelsea fan. All you ever do is hear about oh they used to play for us and they aren't, and then they're doing this elsewhere or another another youth side retains the Champions League, but it doesn't matter. We're never going to see any of them. But anyway, so there's positives there. I also think. Not sacking a manager in their first season who had some of the lows that Sarri had. It feels like progress and feels like you know there might be there might be other reasons why he's not been sacked about an owner who no longer <clears throat> um, lives in the country. But at the same time, I just think that I, I, I enjoy Cup from we had two of them um, finishing third. You, you still got you still got to do it. If the, just because the other teams don't want it, we still had to mm. had to get ourselves. You know, I mean. And the fact that even right at the end when we when we came to Anfield, I didn't fancy us to get to get enough out of it. But when I was on the show talking to Neil, Neil said you can't you can't it's, it's not up for debate that Chelsea can take things from Liverpool. And that is it is true. We we started the season so well. My first appearance this season, we were looking at um three teams that had won, what was it, nine games in a row, I think, till we till we ducked out. So I, I, I do feel quite positive about this season. I really hope that Sari stays, mainly because if he does go, even though it's the Juventus, even though it's a you know a bigger club, a better job, and all those things, part of me will feel that he has been hounded out by a, a bored media and a set of fans who don't really know what they want, other than other than sort of it sounds really obvious, other than other than trophies and, and and winning matches. There's no, there's not been any long term planning as a Chelsea fan because we've almost had well nearly now twenty years we've been almost coached against it that you don't have long-term planning you go short-term you bring in Di Matteo he wins the Champions League you sack him by Christmas you get done and all that and that's kind of and, and that's that's become the Chelsea way and I quite like that this season we've gone against the grain a little bit and stuck by a manager who is, and also watching Maritza sorry look at his winner's medal last night I just thought yeah you know what I think that's that moment was such a nice shot man he's been in the job for what 30 years and finally won himself a a trophy and with a proper with a good second half performance a good footballing performance and he, he'll have seen his football last night which is what he's been trying to get out of us all season and we sort of let him down I would say as, as well as a 
as a club and as a fan base. Yeah, it was a mad stat that I had no idea that that was his first trophy and good on him. You could see what it meant to him. And yeah. just quickly before we go, you said it before, it's probably not much else to say on the matter. Eden Hazard's last game, I think, for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, the only the, 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 the thing I was clinging on to was the potential that with the transfer ban, they might say to him, a bit like you've seen with Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal, where they go, listen, we're not 100 million, we're not going to spend it, or 80 million or whatever. So give us a year and you can go and, and then you can go and get whatever you want a week from Florentino Perez and Real Madrid because they're not going to have to pay a penny for you. And I thought, you know, that, that it, it was an idea, it was a dream, and it was not going to happen. It shouldn't have happened. It's not really the way. If you can get 120 million to somebody, you probably should. Um, but Again, I just have no, I have no bad memories of Hazard. Even, even the season when he had a, he went a bit missing. He still scored that goal against Spurs, which makes that season a good season for Hazard because he stopped Tottenham winning the league. Um, but yes, it, it, it's it's gutting. It's gutting to think that you're because it's not something I've experienced yet in sort of my twenty twenty five years as a chess fan because our greatest players have either retired like with the Zola. <clears throat> or that was all I went to Calgary, but you know, pretty much retired. Or Lampard, who kind of went part time and got to the Man City for a little bit. I've not gone through that feeling of your favourite and your best player going to play for somebody else. He doesn't want to play for you anymore. Um, which is, which is, it's a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, he is somebody who seven years of top service, and, it's, and also he's just, he's just fucking cool. I watched him walk off the bus yesterday, <laughs> and what he probably knew was his last match. He's got his hands in his pockets, just sauntering about, and I just think. Yeah, he's he's everything a superstar is on the pitch, and like none of it off the pitch. And I just think, yeah, he, he seems like a really a decent bloke and a, and a decent footballer, and he's done he's done more than enough to Chelsea to warrant the move that he's talked about since the minute he arrives. To be fair, just so you know, I've lost my voice. I'm not getting emotional. It's okay. okay. <laughs> I'll let you off if you were. And listen, he's probably, you're you're in the Champions League uh, next season. He's probably yeah. going to be in the Champions League. You might have a little reunion, but. Um, oh. Do you know what I mean? It's you're back yeah. in probably where a lot of Chelsea people feel like you know Chelsea fans feel like you belong. So yeah, and we and we can't we can't ruin it by making weird signings. There's gonna be no Danny Drinkwater this year. You can't make any signings. <laughs> I know. I mean, do you know what? You've got a fair few loan players, haven't you, to bring back? So you know, I think we've got to whittle down from north of forty to less than ten. So it's gonna, it's gonna be a bigger. Uh, it's gonna be tough. Big, yeah. It's going to be tough. But you know what, Chris? We'll get you back on um, before the start of the season. Um, have a little Thanks. chat about where we think Chelsea's going. But um, yeah, thank you for joining us uh, without your no voice and getting emotional over Hazard. Even and I am, I am a fully paid up member of the Scousers on, on, on Saturday. I've done my 10 years living here and I'm putting in the work. You cannot let Spurs win a European <laughs> Cup, please. You're very <laughs> glad to know you're on side. <laughs> And I'm joined on the line by Chris Paros from the, the Proud Lily Whites group. They are an LGBT supporters group uh, for Tottenham Hotspur. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Hey, Lizzie. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I, I'm buzzing, so I think you will be buzzing too. Am I correct? Oh, absolutely. I think I don't think we can quite believe it still. I sort of want to be suspended in this feeling forever of just like the excitement of being in the Champions League final. It's it's unbelievable and and this isn't a dig but obviously we've we felt it before um and and the feeling never ever goes away so I can only imagine what it's like for yourselves um first time you'll have an absolute ball um, oh incredible yeah just just before we go on to the actual match um as as you heard from the introduction I just wanted to talk a bit about um the proud Lily White um yeah. 
So you won a you won an award not too long ago at the FSF Awards, the Fans Diversity Award. Just just tell us about the group in general, uh, how it started, um, you know, the importance of it at the moment for fans. Yeah, sure. I mean, we started back in 2014, and uh, you know, there was a, a group that existed at the time, <coughs> Gay Gooners. Don't want to say. I'm only going to mention them once. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it again. Um, and it made a number of us um, at Spurs uh, think, well, actually, we should be doing something like that. Luckily, around the same time, Tottenham were thinking about what they should be doing for their for their LGBT fans. You know, Tottenham do a load of really good work in the community, um, and actually, they were thinking about there's, you know, it might be sort of, you know, a, a, a mem- a part of the of their fan base they don't really reach so um we ended up eight of us didn't know each other um, in a room at tottenham talking about what we wanted to do for lgbt fans and we made this thing called the proud lily whites and um you know i could tell you a little bit about why i care about it in a minute but you know the most important we're there we want to sort of support the sort of lgbt supporters of spurs and further sort of the pioneering nature of spurs as a champion of inclusion and diversity the most important thing is that everyone um who loves football can feel like they can take part and can go to football matches you know i've got plenty of anecdotal stories of our members um particularly of gay men actually who um, got to a certain point in their lives and felt like football wasn't for them anymore. It might be when they came out. It might have been, you know, somehow that sort of what it seemed to be of the very masculine nature of football might not have been for them or they might have felt like they were unsafe going to games, etc. But you have something like the Proud Lily Whites and all the other LGBT fan groups up and down the country. And it's like, OK, well, there are people I can go to matches with. There are people I can watch away games with. You know, when you're embraced by the club um, as as LGBT fans are now, thanks to this LGBT fan group movement and changes in society, we can't take credit for all of it, of course. Um, you know, and really feeling welcome is so important. I mean, you love football, Lizzie, like I do. Yeah. And, and just that feel, feeling of, you know, like that's the feeling we've got now, right? in the run-up to a Champions League final, I wouldn't want to deny that to anybody. No. So if you love football, you should be part of it. And that's what that's what the Proud Lily Whites is all about, um, really. Amazing. And like you say, it's not about denying people. It's more a space for, for people to feel comfortable with because we, we can't get away from football being a masculine sport. I mean... If- also with with myself as a young woman you know it's it's a it's a a sort of I don't want to compare it but I have you know young women have issues there as well because it's so masculine and I think that might you know from the outside looking in what you've just been saying might be uh, the problem there and you don't see many footballers um, because there will be there will be gay footballers there will be LGBT footballers there's too many footballers in this world for there not to be but we don't see anyone speaking out about it just yet I know it's very personal um, and I think that's absolutely fine. But what do you think uh, needs to happen maybe for, you know, footballers to feel comfortable with actually coming out? Yeah, well, I think it's a really good question. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we can do as fans is be out. And, you know, one thing that we had at the at the old White Hart Lane, we're still trying to figure out where to put it in the new stadium, is um, our flag was very much, very prominent in the northeast corner of the of the stadium. And that flag being there was really important for so many reasons. It was important because it said to everybody in the stadium, whether they were um, a fan, a steward, um, a player, 
um, someone on the on the staff of either team that they're welcome at White Hart Lane. And that happens, as I say, across the country. And all we can do is be part of creating the conditions that make it okay for somebody to come out. I think, you know, like you say, it's a very personal decision. I'd never, I, you know, I'm not a, a fan of, of outing people. Um, I think it's um, what we've got to realise is, you know, the, the margins and the pressures of being a professional um, sports person are really, really fine and very tight. And so obviously, you know, on the one hand, you say you don't want to put that extra pressure on somebody or for somebody to put that extra pressure on themselves, which is, I think, why we see, you know, some footballers come out after at the end of their careers, like Thomas Hitzelsberger, for example. Um, but on the other hand, you wonder, I wonder how many um, brilliant players we may have lost away because they felt like they couldn't be their authentic selves at work and you know we are talking about people doing a job here and of course we're talking about gay male players because there are there you know there are out players in the women's game um you know we're talking about people doing a job here and, and we know all the evidence says that if you can be yourself at work you will perform better so we just want to be part of creating the conditions that allow that to happen um, I don't think we're as far off as we might, as I might have thought we were, like when we started. You know, when, as I say, when we started, there were four LGBT fan groups, and now there are 47. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that this is just about an LGBT fan group movement, but I think there's a there's a greater um, uh, sort of drive within the, the sort of within football, within the football family, to ensure LGBT inclusion, which I think can only be a good thing. I agree. I completely agree. And you've just said before, um, you can go into to why you're passionate about it. Would you mind me asking why that is? Um, why I'm, I'm well, I think as I say, <clears throat> for some for some of my my sort of my friends now, actually uh, in the Proud Lily Whites, they wanted to sort of do the, to do this to kind of bring people together and you know, and, and as I say, have somebody to watch the game with, etc. I've been going to Tottenham regularly as a season ticket holder for more than 20 years so I've got my routine the people I go with etc that wasn't necessarily my driver my driver was around um campaigning um because you know for me as we said you know football's got such a a power for sort of social and cultural transformation. You know, all the best football clubs are really embedded in their communities. We see fantastic organisations using a football, using football as a tool to to kind of, you know, to develop sort of young people's confidence. Um, or, or not necessarily just young people. You know, I work with an, I do a little bit of work with an organisation called Football Beyond Borders, who work with, um, you know, young people who might not be achieving in school, and they use football to sort of help them on that journey and it's, the, the work they do is incredible so if you think about that in the context of what football can do um, and the power of the Premier League across the globe you think well actually using it as a sort of a campaigning tool um, for sort of further LGBT inclusion is, is really important and that's what I care about. Mm. Some people say football reflects society I'm not convinced by that because I think football can be a leader um, and, and and that's what I want sort of want to see here. I think you're absolutely right. I really like that saying that football can be a leader. You know, it's something that yeah. we should all take, and we all do have a responsibility to to each other, whether you're a man, you're a woman, LGBT. We're all there. When you're in that stadium, you're a football fan, and you're supporting that side just as much as anyone. So I think obviously the work that you've just told me you're doing is absolutely fantastic, and, and yeah, same with the groups on. around the country. 
Yeah, you're spot on there, Lizzie. And I think, you know, you made a point about being a young woman in a football ground. I think that's something, you know, I know this is slightly off topic of sort of LGBT supporters groups, but I think something that isn't taken as seriously, actually, as um, homophobia and racism in football is the the, um, sort of very everyday sexism that just happens. It's just throwaway... Um, but it, it very much serves to make us feel like that's not for us. I mean, I've been told that as well, actually, you know, mm. I've called stuff out in football grounds before. Um, and I've been told, oh, man, I come to football to get away from nagging women, not to like find more in front of me. Oh, but actually, it's, actually, it's quite funny because, you know, the majo- there are also the majority of people around you are just like, he's the joke, not yeah. me. yeah. That's where the tide has turned, certainly in the last 20 years, in my experience, is that there is mu- there are much more, you know, there are more people around you who go, actually, you're right, rather than the ones that say that you're not. Mm, completely agree. Well, this woman now is going to talk about football, whether anyone likes it or not. How Absolutely. excited are you for Saturday? Because I am oh. buzzing and everyone keeps tweeting me. Uh, everyone thinks that I'm, so the whole of the office is gone um on a on a bus on Wednesday and everyone's like oh you haven't gone and I'm like believe me I am I'm just not on a bus for three days with 12 men yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm on a day trip so I can't wait what about you uh exactly the same I still can't I still can't quite believe it I mean just the thought of you know a Champions League final we weren't expecting it I mean you know that first I think it was the first game actually where we completely dominated into Milan we were 1-0 up and cruising and then suddenly within a blink of an eye we were 2-1 down and that seems to be the um the sort of the pattern of this Champions League campaign is we think we're down and out and then we're not so I'd say beware if we're behind on Saturday Lizzie because you think we're down and out and we won't be (laughs) Listen, it's an amazing competition, and the thing is, it's a knockout game. So it, it it always has been. You know, you can you can be on form week in week out, like Liverpool were, or you know, you yourselves in the league had a bad run of form, but you still managed to get to this point in the Champions League. And you know, you're you're a Spurs fan who's never experienced this feeling before. You know, did you? What were your expectations? Did you think you would get to this point? Well, put it this way: I was in Ajax, and at half time. I turned to my mate and we were just saying to each other, well, look, it's amazing that we're here. It's the Champions League semi-final. Who would have thought we'd be in the Champions League semi-final? So proud of this team. At 2-2, we sort of looked at each other. We were like, this is incredible. I mean, you look at the heart that this team has given us. It's like, you know, you've got to be proud of them, etc. I mean, then at 3-2, I, I, can't, even, I can't even remember what... The, I, I can't even begin to tell you what that feeling was like. And I guess it's the same thing now. It's like... We're in the Champions League semi, uh, the Champions League final. No one's going to take that away from us. We've got to the pinnacle of of club competition in the world, let alone in Europe, and and we're we're properly competing. We've got a team that can really compete at that level. And as you say, in a one-off game, who knows what's going to happen? And you know, as much as I don't want to make it about the other lot, whatever happens, we're in the Champions League and they're not. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Listen, take it. That's what football's about. Use it exactly. and rub it in the faces. So, uh, you know, Man City are nowhere to be seen, are they? So, uh, for us. But listen, um, what are you? What are your thoughts about like Liverpool? Then, so are you confident, or do you feel like you are going into this as underdogs, and that might, I don't know, work in your favour, or will it work against you? Well. <laughs> I think we do go into it as underdogs, and I think that's good for us. Actually, um, I think we're better when the when we feel like we have to we're going to have to work for it in a different way. Um, personally, I genuinely don't know how it's going to go. I couldn't tell you know 
it's like, it, as you say, it's a one-off game. But I think going into it as underdogs, knowing what we've achieved in this competition so far, knowing that, you know, that the, the sort of the world thinks that, you know, like we, we're known as sort of nearly, nearly rams, aren't we, I suppose. And, but I do think that there's something special about, and I know, I'm sure you feel the same way about your manager, but I think there's something special about Maurizio Pochettino. I think his, his sheer belief in the, his team's ability and what he's instilled in the team, not just in terms of, you know, how fit they are and how hard they work and how high they press and all that kind of stuff, but the belief that he's instilled in that team that they can achieve this and that this is their destiny is, I think, the thing that is going to mean that whatever the outcome on on Saturday, um, we're going to come away with it with our heads held high. Fabulous. I can't say it, Lizzie. I can't, I'm too superstitious. <laughs> I can't say it. Listen, you know what? You've got it in your heart of heart and you believe it and that's the main thing. Chris, Absolutely. thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, Chris, obviously, like I said before, is from the Proud Lily White's group. So check them out on social media. Check them out online doing amazing things uh, across football. And I would say good luck, but I don't really mean it. So I'm just going to say thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel exactly the same way, Lizzie. I hope you're disappointed come uh, Sunday, 11pm. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, now, it seems like we've been spending a lot of time talking about players who may or may not be fit. And it's time to do it again. Uh, we're going to look at Spurs this time and the talismanic captain, Harry Kane. Um, he appeared to rule himself into contention for the final, although I was very keen to notice that he said, I'm ready to go rather than I'm fit, which may mean that in his mind, he's ready to go. But according to the doctors, He's not yet fit. It's a very, very fine line, as I mentioned <laughs> earlier. Uh, now, obviously, him being a back will be a big boost to Pochettino, but it also definitely gives him a problem because we know there's no way he would have ruled himself out. It's a Champions League final. Yeah. I mean, even if he was on one leg, he would definitely have said he was able to play. But we've also seen evidence last summer in the World Cup and in other games where when Kane is only half fit, he's more of a hindrance to his team yeah. than he is of a help. So, uh, Dan, I'll come to you with this one. What's your gut instinct? Do you think he's going to start? I hope he does. Ge- genuinely, I hope he does. Because I think I think a lot of this hinges on how quick Liverpool get out the blocks. Because mm. Liverpool can very quickly put Pochettino in an awful position of when he hooks Kane. Not, not, a, not a question of if, when. Because, yeah. you know, it can't get to a point where he can't do it first half. He probably can't do it at half-time. The, yeah. the, the minimum he can do it is 55 now, if we can get to a point where we've got a, a head in the game quite significantly, then it's he's the first one off, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to cry Harry Kane in any way. He's, he's a brilliant striker on his day, gets half a sniff of goal, he's, he's one of the best about. But the more and more this goes on, the more I think he's going to play. Um, and I think the more and more it goes on, the more he's going to... I think there's a world where if you if you're in Tottenham's training camp and you're around Tottenham's environments, there's a possibility where listen, I, I don't know people's characters and personalities, but I think Kane will expect to play. Mm-hmm. I think he, he sees himself very much as the main man around Tottenham. And and I think if he's saying he's fit, I think he's he's expecting to play. And I'm not sure whether the will is there to, to sell to him that you you come on with half an hour or you're on the pitch come the end of the game or whatever, but the more and more it goes on, the more I think he'll, he'll be in the lineup. 
That's an interesting point about his own expectations, Amelia. And I mean, he can probably point to the fact that in the second leg, he came on and made a difference and he wasn't even on on the team. He was just talking in the dressing room. So he's very much going to be disappointed if he doesn't start. Do you think he's the kind of person who can turn that disappointment into goals, kind of like Gina Wijnaldum did? Or is he a sulker? (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) My ultimate dream is like yours, that he starts and that he just looks absolutely fucking goosed by about 15 minutes in and you're just looking at him going, what a sad state of affairs. This is, I feel truly, I just, I think that, I looked at some stats before I got here. um, (laughs) For the games that he's not been on the pitch, their success rate, it goes from 62% to 67%. So they're actually marginally better off without him. And they can get on better without him. And I think, not so much mentally, but kind of just like for the morale of the rest of the team, it almost is worse to start with him on because it's like somehow telling them that they need Harry Kane when they don't, when they've mm-hmm. gotten on perfectly well without him. Again, for us, it's, it's uh, talking about what would be best for them and talking about what we'd actually love to ha- absolutely love to happen and they're completely opposite things. I don't think they should put him on to start. I think their best move would be to bring him on later um, as that kind of boost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he can offer it in the dressing room, I'm sure he can then do it on the pitch later on in the game. Um, it, I can see why he'd want to start and would want to be in the start in 11. I just think it, would, it wouldn't be the best idea for them. And uh, I don't, it's not even that he becomes a concern for us as such. Cause like, I suppose he gives opposition defenders a bit more of something to think about mm-hmm. if he's on the pitch, but like it's fucking Virgil van Dijk. Do you know what I mean? Like he, it's not going to matter him, whether he starts or not, he's going off after a bit. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> Fuck yeah. him. I've changed my opinion on this. Oh so really? Much. Like I, I, I just, I think I disagree. Oh, that's okay. So I, I think, I think, I don't think they want to bring Harry Kane on at like, at 60, 70, because he takes a while to get into a game, Harry That's Kane. Mm-hmm. And I think for Spurs to have him coming on at 70 and taking 10 minutes to warm up if they're chasing a goal, yeah. whereas I think Lucas Moura can be quite impactful from the bench. I think he's fast, he's pacey, and I think he has more than enough effect on the game and might frighten Liverpool a bit more. And I and I have changed my tune. I did think it was mm-hmm. it was Harry Kane, um, but this was before I thought he was actually fit to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Lucas Moura coming off the bench is scary but then I suppose Lucas Moura from the start isn't a nice prospect either but he's been inconsistent over the season hasn't he Lucas mm-hmm. Moura and I think he's a great player and he's been really important in the running but I think he makes more of an impact off the bench yeah. Um. so actually like and, and Lucas Moura never usually gets a full 90 if you notice like he, he's usually a first he's your first sub if, he, if he's on when he's changing Usually, mm-hmm. I I think that he, he changes more. I might be wrong. I, I don't watch Spurs week in, week out. But when I have watched Spurs, he, he does seem to hook more. And I think, you know, if if they're struggling, we're 1-0 up or it's 0-0 and they're taking off more for Harry Kane, I, I can only yeah. see that being a good thing. Yeah. Just no, my opinion. No, I think, If yeah. you flip it and you look at what, what don't you want as a Liverpool fan, I mean, if you look at Anfield when we win 2-1, it's it's more than Kane who get the nod and they bring Son on when they're on top and at mm. that point I was thinking oh shit yeah. you know at that point I was really thinking this is kitchen sink job by these and and a player like him the season he's had Son um, I think I think the manager likes the the way in which Son can impact the game in different ways in terms of like you guys say when he gets Kane on the pitch he knows what he's getting mm-hmm. to an extent you know what you're getting with Mora I think Son's one who you can you can adapt to the influence of of how a game's panning out basically you can say look here's how it is this is what I need from you in terms of a job you can't ask Harry Kane to come on and do a shift you know no. 
track on Andy Robbo. It's just not going to happen. So I'd love to see him try. So I think that that in many ways, Pochettino's got what he calls a good problem. But I read a quote from him the other week, uh, the other day, sorry, which was interesting in that. He basically, he basically went, said with what everyone else is thinking that if he starts Kane and it doesn't work or he brings him on the bench and he doesn't work, i.e. they lose, everyone's looking at him and saying what a shit decision. Oh, yeah. yeah. That to me Can't already win. says he's feeling the pressure of England's Harry Kane being around the place and the fact that he's got to make a decision about him. Yeah. Because he's, he's, that's the other thing to remember with this. He's, he's the, the sports media darling. He's the England captain. So him not starting a European Cup final is almost an affront to some mm. some national journalists. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying who, but you know. I think we can all guess who they are. Let's let's leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a really interesting point as well, especially when you consider Pochettino and his standing in world <clears throat> football as a manager and the potential threat to his authority. If he can be strong and say, "Look, my best plan is with you starting, but you're going to have to come off." And say to someone like Son, I'm sorry, but I think our best way of winning the game is with you not starting. And when you say After he's been, got us here, yeah, he's been their player of the season all year. And these are the real kind of make or break moments because we've seen Lizzie in a lot of his press conferences recently. Pochettino has been flirting with the idea of a next step and what what's beyond Tottenham, as great as it would be for him to win something in this era. It really could be make or break for him. He's going to have all of that weight on top of it when he's making his decisions. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know if Harry Kane is as strong as a character that he would dictate himself whether he starts or not. I don't yeah. think he's this Ronaldo-esque figure mm-hmm. uh, who, who goes to the manager and says, play me. I think he's declared himself fit because why wouldn't you? You know, you're going to be desperate to play in a game like that. And to be honest, good on him for doing it because you should be working your ass off to, mm-hmm. to, to play in that final. But... Um, you know, it's it's one of them, isn't it? I mean, the only comparison we've got, and this is like, I'm not comparing them as players because they're completely different, but hopefully you see what I'm trying to say. With with Harry Kane, I suppose he's their star player. You know, I hear conversations on a couple of the podcasts over in, in the last week that we've done of, well, Joe Gomez is fully fit now, so Joe Gomez is a better player than Matt put him in. But then you go, Harry, so it's the same with Harry Kane. You've not played. No. You, you're probably a better forward than... Lucas Moura well I know they're different players but maybe a better option than Lucas Moura but you're not match fit either um, this is going to be the most intense game of football that Tottenham have played all mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. and is he actually fully fit for it and I think I think Pochettino will just take it whatever gets thrown at him I think it will be his decision I don't think it comes down to, to Harry Kane having a say so mm-hmm. but I think it is a bit of a good problem I mean it, it really isn't bad to, to be thinking about whether you start Harry Kane or Hyungmin Son Hyungmin Son for me if I was Pochettino, is the first player I'd be picking by a mile. But mm-hmm. who knows if he thinks, you know, he, he might be better on the bench. I don't know. I, I have to say, I agree with you. I'd always have Son in my team. He'd be my first name. Mm-hmm. And second name on my team sheet for Spurs would be Jan Vertonghen, who also seems like he's going to be fit. And we've obviously talked a lot about Kane and most of the conversation has been around him because, as you said, Dan, he is a talisman. But I'm more interested in the defence and what they do there because... A lot of the talk of the course of the season, the last two seasons, been Spurs have been very adaptable and very good at being able to manage things in game. But against us both times, they got it horribly wrong at the beginning. The first half, we had so much joy out wide, particularly for Trent and for Robbo. And when you consider how important they've been over the course of the season in terms of our attacking threat, they surely can't allow that to stand. So are they going to go for four? Are they going to go for three? I, I genuinely don't know. I think 
One thing that strikes me is that um, we often forget they've changed it in both games this season against us mid-game. So there's there's two weeks of build-up where Pochettino said to his players, this is how you beat Liverpool. Lads, this is how we do it. And then they go out and they have to change it during the game, either half-time or before. So whether that just gives them the concept that they've got a free crack at it, I don't know. But I've been thinking loads about this in terms of how they're going to look. I've just come to the conclusion they're going to resemble something that looks like a 4-2-3-1 with five across a, a blanket in midfield mm-hmm. when they haven't got possession. Who that is, I'm not sure. How they try and nullify us out wide, I'm not sure. But I think that's more a testament to the ways in which Liverpool can hurt you because I think, look, look it looks like Firmino will be fit. If they do some kind of doubling up job out wide, then you're going to need more for Firmino dropping in, mm-hmm. i.e. an Arsenal at home type of performance where he's he's getting a ball, he's turning, he's causing all kinds of problems. Just the wrong side is a so-called, which we know, despite the season he's had, you can do. I've wondered loads. I, I thought, in the immediacy, I thought whether whether they just done something mad, like some kind of Christmas tree shape with Lorente for 60 minutes and just tried to play over the top of the press. Honestly, I think yeah. that's that, that's one way of playing against us that no one ever does in terms of just play over the top of them for an hour and see where you are, see how you get on then. Try and stay in the game because, like I referenced earlier, if we get if we get our noses in front here and we get ahead and take the game away from Tottenham, I'm not sure, even in a cup final where mad things happen, there's a way in which they re- respond to us going to maybe three up. <clears throat> it's a good point, actually. And... When you think about the madness we've seen in cup finals, I think of a lot of times down the years where a manager's tried to throw in a curveball right on the time and immediate, in particular, considering the familiarity of the two teams and how long this build-up has been and how long they've had to potentially work on things. Do you think that increases the chance of us seeing something a little bit freaky like a Christmas tree? <laughs> well, it's a Champions League final. Freakiness is kind of written into the nature of it, isn't it? I don't know. I think, I think it speaks volumes how much time we have spent here and how much time I have spent trying to work out what Spurs will do to try and fuck us whereas we're not thinking about what we do to try do you know what I mean yeah, it's, it's yeah. like if they were Barcelona before we did Barcelona do you know like it's the way how we would be talking about this if we were going into a Champions League final with the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona mm-hmm. is the way that we're currently talking about what Spurs need to think about when they face us and like yeah in, in that case yeah. yeah it's a Champions League final anything can happen like mad shit can and does but I just think that the fact that these are the conversations that we're having gives me nothing but hope and confidence <laughs> no me too I think that's a very I hadn't even thought of it that way but you're right we're, outside the box yes, <laughs> we, <laughs> I know my, my head has been in the box for far too long it's, it's kind of nice out here <laughs> so, so yeah we, we are now the overdogs and again it goes back to what we were saying at the top of the show in terms of the change of the language and the more belief and the confidence of the team and yeah it's something that I've always wanted us to be able to do and I feel like now we're actually able to do it I don't think it, I don't think it carries a ginormous amount of pressure as well we all think and I, th- I don't know if that's just me as a fan that's feeling I'm not relaxed I'm very excited but I'm not extremely nervous get me till Saturday it might change <laughs> but I think because I'm very confident that, you know, over the course of a season, we've proved that we are much a better, much the better side than Spurs. So yeah. it should be that um, we, we beat them. And I keep saying it and, and I'm going to keep saying it. I just, I'm just trying to get into the heads of, and I keep using Van Dijk, like I'm trying to get into his head. And to me, 
I just don't think he doesn't accept not winning this game. Right. I really, I really don't think they they accept walking out of that ground without a trophy. That's not to say we're entitled to it. It's it's a one-off game and anything can happen. But I, I just, I think there's not a desperation in in terms of like a 13, 14 desperation. Mm-hmm. It's a measured desperation of you know what? Well, we deserve this, and we're gonna yeah. go out and get what we deserve. We're gonna reap our rewards finally, and you're gonna see us reap the rewards, and we're gonna be the best team in Europe. And I think, I think Spurs might just get a little bit freaked out by the occasion. And I know they're playing an English side, but they've never been here before. No. Our lads have, and and it's the history of the clubs as well because. You know, this expectation that Spurs, mm. Spurs never expected to get to the Champions League final, whereas Liverpool, the second you sign as a 14-year-old kid, you're probably told you you need to play, you're need to going to be playing in Europe in the mm-hmm. Champions League because that's where we belong. It's not a scary prospect for them. And I think that might show on Saturday. I just, I just think Spurs might freak out a little bit. I hope they do. It's interesting to consider the difference between them and us because they are almost where we, well, they are where we were last year. And I was just about to we say. We were talking about the same things in terms of, you know, we've not been here before, we weren't expecting it, we've got a free run, they can be carefree, you can go out and attack yeah. the game. But what actually happened is that we hit a major roadblock early and never really recovered. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, having gone through that, we're in a better position to do it again, but do we think Spurs are? I'm not I'm Spurs, are, Spurs are horrible to play against. Let's let's yeah. understand that. Let's put that out to each other. They are, you know, and I think Spurs will be looking at that one nil we got against City in the quarter final, where they absolutely dogged it and they mm. had a plan that went completely to plan um and got them the result they needed. So I what gives me the confidence is that I think Liverpool are actually the best in the league at having a plan. So you look at Tottenham at home, for example, and for sixty minutes our full backs are just pinging it to each other. Yeah. Putting Tottenham in complete disarray. So you look at when we went two one at Wembley, they play a diamond and we completely take Ericsson out the game within ten minutes. We just mm-hmm. cut him off. So I back us more than I do last year, and I've said it on a few shows because I think we've got a better coaching staff. I think having Linders this year is massive in terms of the difference. I think it's probably massive to the Marbella trip mm-hmm. in terms of training and stuff like that and preparation. Um, and I just back us to have a better plan for Spurs than than anyone else. So I, it's I was thinking about this in the context of Ajax. Like if we'd have got Ajax, I'd, I honestly think it could have ended up like Oliver's in two thousand and one, <laughs> like a five four or something. And and it probably would have been in the first half an hour. Yeah. It just would have been a mad game for forty minutes, and then it probably might have just died off after yeah. that. But but with this, you know enough about Tottenham to know that they can make a game horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can take some kind of cue from the game last night in the Europa League final, which Fuck for me. a long time, <laughs> was, oh my God. a long time was really boring. Should we not talk about it, Amelia? <laughs> but then exploded. <laughs> I've had, I don't know, I've had better cervical smears than like watching. It was, it was just absolutely dog shit. And I know <laughs> absolutely necessary. Go to the NHS. <laughs> I just I know like we say it a lot and it's overused on Twitter by us when we're trying to be meths being like oh I'm so glad I don't have to watch these play football every week but like fuck me am I glad I don't have to watch those teams play football every week it just like it made me more excited for our game because Mm. it's not going to be that whatever happens it's not going to be that I nearly had to double check I went on Chelsea TV watching some (laughs) pre-season some pre-season tour game from 2016 I was like what is this yeah and 
that was the weirdest thing about the game I think the atmosphere and how it would have been made it so hard I think for Arsenal to try and come back from it but the point I was trying to mangle the way, my way through is that there was a long time I know, I know, I know. I'm coming, I'm coming for a long time that game looked like it was going one way and then you look at the final score and it's like 4-1 and you think mm. well, well how did that happen so I can see this game being similar. It can be going from moments of nothing to a few explosions every now and then. May even go all the way to penalties. And so, because normally at the end of this section we do predictions and what have you, and I'm quite confident that we're all going to predict the same 11. Um, I leave everyone a chance now to say nay, but I think Virginie Vermeulen is the only real conversation and I think we're all in consensus here you can fill in the rest of your home yourselves Hmm. so what I'm going to ask you is about penalties now obviously we don't know vagaries of injuries substitutions what have you Mm -hmm. but saying that you had a choice of the 23 who are going to be there who are the five that you're picking to take penalties should we go one each should we do it that like way? with penalties? <laughs> should we all, should we all yeah. take one? Yeah. Okay. If you, if you, yeah. Okay. Right. So, since it's my game, I should probably go first, shouldn't mm-hmm. I? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do the method of picking the strongest penalty taker first. So I'm going to pick James Miller. Oh, obviously. Sorry, everybody. No, but the point is, I think there you see a lot of times there will be people who want to put their best penalty taker fifth. Uh, sometimes you see a little bit of ego out of it sometimes it's almost like that becomes more decisive penalty but I just think starting well is more important than maybe finishing in that stage I'm still slightly angry Gerard was fifth penalty against AC Milan in 2005 like if we'd have lost that game I'd have been fucking livid yeah, yeah. that he was fifth I, penalty I think that's why Salah isn't I, I don't know if Salah is one even, like, and I know that sounds mental to say you wouldn't give a penalty <clears> to Salah but like I genuinely don't think I would because it means too much like there's too much weight on it it's like giving Gerard something where you're like it's Gerard like I just yeah Salah's Salah's doesn't usually take our pens. Yeah, though does he? To be mm. fair, yeah. I mean, I know he's had a couple, but I think he still thinks he can do it. Though. That's what I mean. I think, I think he's going would, me, me, put me in. Want... See, I, I think he performs on a big stage, mm. Salah. So I'd have that argument about him. Okay, so, so uh, who am I? Second, Dan. I'll go for you for second. Yeah, I mean, my my general opinion is I'd pick me my strongest three first. Um, so you can have Salah and Firmino for me after Milner, and then I'd just be looking into people's eyes, seeing who looks. <laughs> <laughs> Who looks the most assured and whether they want one and who's telling me they want one with absolute conviction for the last two. So I'd be that that'd be my I think that's a very good way of doing it. And we've been talking a lot about the mentality of our squad we've got. I'm kind of expecting it to see a lot of hands when the manager says who's ready for it. I'm I'm not expecting to see too many of them shy away from this situation. I'd, I'd be interested to see how Trent takes a penalty. Yeah, yeah. I'd trust Virgil with me life, so I'd trust him with a hmm. pen. No, I think that's fair. And and what you were saying before about his mentality of how he can see it as a stage where he's ready to take commands and say, look, we're just not going to allow this to slip. So, yeah, number four at number four. Uh, Do you know what, though, who I think might not... I don't know. You might disagree with me. Would you you like to... I I don't think I would, and I don't mean this horrible. Would you like to see Henderson take a pen? Because I don't think I would. No, I really wouldn't. Because if it goes wrong, think of all of the terrible people. He is captain, but I I think if I had the choice between, like I say, Van Dijk or Henderson... I'd go Van Dijk. Fabinho was a penalty taker at Monaco. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah, I was going to say Fabinho's my choice, probably second after Milner, because he's got loads of practice to do with it. Mm. I don't like... Mm-hmm. 
I, I, my reasons for not wanting Hendo to do it are different. I just don't want to hear anything that anyone has to say if he doesn't make yeah. it. I think that's why it's not like, I mean, the question of whether or not he does it is a different thing that I don't really want to ask even myself, but I, I don't want to listen to the opinions of people that don't like him if he doesn't make it. Now, obviously, I think a lot of us remember the fact that he missed for England in the summer, in the one that they won. I'm trying to remember, I don't know if any of you can remember, the mammoth penalty shootout we had against Middlesbrough in the, in the League Cup all those years ago. It was, was like 14, 13. Was he playing in that game? I don't know. I just remember, I remember Lucas, I remember Jose Enrique. Because I remember a lot of really good penalties in that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I, I just, I, th- I agree with all what you said about Henderson, but... There's a part of me that just feels like <clears throat> if he scores, though, that can put an end to it all in one fell sweep. I know it's it's uh, I kind of agree that he. T- I think in that in that moment, n- not in the games, then he probably just take too much on mentally yeah. mm-hmm. in the moments. Okay. Whereas if you threw someone like Shakiri on one, he'd be like, "So what?" Yeah, Ooh, that's a very good I think it point. depends who's on the pitch. I think like I think if you've said Milner, but that's presuming Genie's off. Yeah. I, th- I was about Matt mm-hmm. Wijnaldum as a penalty taker, but the, I don't think he's on the pitch if, if Milner is to take the pen. Yeah. Uh, is Divo Harigi on? Because if Divo Harigi's on, I'd have him take a pen. And, and it's a good point about Shkiri, I'd have him take one as well. Yeah, I, I think what we've kind of come to the conclusion of is that there's very few people who we'd be genuinely nervous about. I think um, if it got to it and everyone had taken one and uh, Joel Matter was stepping up, I'd probably be a little bit nervous. <laughs> but be sound. if we go into sudden death, <laughs> he's just that kind of person who could just roll it into the bottom corner and say what you were worried about. <laughs> so I'm leaving no thoughts off the table here. I think if it goes to 90, I see us winning. If it goes to 120, I see us winning. If it goes to penalties, I see Liverpool winning this Champions League. Is anyone around this table in any disagreement with any of those points? I'm just laughing at Joel Matter's possible run-up for the penalty. <laughs> <laughs> it might be worth it just to see it, wouldn't it? Fucking start in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only person taking longer to get to Madrid than the boys on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, I think that's probably the best place to leave it. A big thank you to Lizzie, to Amelia, to Dan, to Chris's, to the boys on the bus, and all of you for listening. This has been the Weekender. We'll see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs>